HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today. Good evening, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're going to be talking all about plastics, how many types there are, the realities of recycling it, what action is being taken to reduce single-use plastic, and what its connection to climate change is. Joining me on the line to discuss is Laura Parker. Laura is a staff writer at National Geographic who specializes in covering climate change and marine environments and who has written extensively about the plastic crisis. Laura, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Um, thank you for joining me on a Sunday evening <laughs> during the holidays. <laughs> I know it's a little bit of a um, not the best time, but I really appreciate you being here today. Well, I have nothing better to do than to talk with you. So. <laughs> Very wonderful. So today we're going to get you know delve into the wonderful world of plastics, and you have obviously written extensively on this. So I just want to start by asking how you how you got interested in this field in particular. What drew what drew you to want to ta- uh, to, to write about the plastic industry? Oh, that's an unusual story. I'm a, a child of uh, the. Pacific Northwest, grew up on the Pacific Northwest beaches. Uh, I've lived in uh, in the Boston area. I've lived in Miami. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time on the coasts. Uh, but I had never heard of the plastic problem um, until after I started at National Geographic in 2014. Um, and within the first few days of me going there, the Malaysian plane went missing. And I was assigned to cover the ocean search. Uh, it's very difficult to lose a Boeing 777 uh, yeah. jumbo jet. And uh, and so they thought the ocean search would be interesting, and we did do a few pieces on it. But as the search continued, because we all thought the plane would be found, for, the debris would be found fairly quickly, but the search continued into the second, and, and obviously now it still hasn't been found. Uh, but in the second week, there were multiple satellite images that uh, captured uh, large collections of floating debris on the surface. Uh, and in each instance, uh, the search ships rushed to the scene, uh, expecting to find or hoping to find the, the debris path from the airplane. And in each instance, it was uh, plastic trash. 
and after the third or fourth time this happened and the, all these stories unfolded in exactly the same way, uh, I went back into the office and I said, I think we're going to stop with the search and I'm going to start covering. I'm going to do something on this this trash. And that was the first story I wrote. We had a phenomenal uh, response to it and I've been covering plastic ever since. Um, wow, that's that's fascinating. So just to start, um, you know, there are a lot of statistics out there about the extent to which, you know, plastic is a is a problem and the negative impacts. Um, I think a lot of them personally are really hard to kind of wrap my head around because they're just the numbers are so large. I don't even, you know, there's no like kind of context for me other than to know that it's just terrible, right? But I'm right. wondering, it's just really, really bad. Um, I'm wondering though, if you have maybe like one or two statistics that you think, you know, and personally have been very impactful to you that you want people to know about. I think the uh, the one that came out in the Jenna Jambeck uh, study from 2015, and Jenna is, a, is an uh, engineering professor at the University of Georgia, and she uh, she and her colleagues produced the first analysis of how much plastic is slipping in and leaking into the oceans every year, which really helped uh, uh, this subject uh, just explode in 2015 uh, in terms of attention to the world, by the world, and, and really putting a spotlight on it. Um, and her findings were that it, it, that it is about 9 million tons leak into the ocean from coastal nations um, every single year, or the equivalent of one dump truck load every minute. And both of those numbers are very hard to get your mind around. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, another number that's out there is in terms of microplastics, which are is plastic trash that has been uh, worked on by uh, UV rays from the sun and by wave action and wind and broken into tiny, small micro They're called microplastics, tiny pieces about the size of a grain of rice or smaller. Uh, there are 5.2 trillion um, of those pieces in the ocean, and that was a study that also uh, was published in the same year as Jenna's study, um, which is an even more incomprehensible number. Um, And so those are the big numbers, a lot of the numbers involving uh, plastic and plastic waste and plastic production are big numbers, and pretty soon they overwhelm um, your mind, I think, and it makes it difficult for, for... ordinary folks who aren't tracking with this to kind of keep up with things. I think that's partly why uh, the straw campaign in the last year or two uh, became very popular and caught on in ways that people didn't expect, Mm -hmm. uh, because that was a way into the topic that was understandable and easy to, uh, to absorb and helped lead the way into the more complicated parts of it. Um, Right. And and so, is there are, are there discrepancies in the numbers? Or I imagine this it's fairly hard to to track. Not just plastic straws, but you know, like I would say, all packaging. Uh, the numbers are fast moving because the the industry is fast moving. Lots of changes are occurring. A lot of numbers are based on modeling, and then uh, scientists go back and get some hard data. 
Uh, it's very expensive to go out and do research and get hard data because mm-hmm. uh, if you're measuring plastic in the ocean in any way, that usually involves a ship. Uh, and that hmm. is another complicating factor that, uh, that makes it uh, t- tough to, to get those numbers. And then industry numbers, um, the difficulty there is uh, sorting out numbers from different countries, which may be measuring things slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fact that, it, it, that this is a topic that's just moving with the speed of light. Right. You said 2015 was the where, when this issue really started to pick up. I always thought, I thought it would have was popular for longer. I don't. I don't know why I thought that. It but. goes. It goes back. Yes, as I learned um, um, naively uh, when I got onto this in 2014, was was I had come into the middle of a play. This dates back to the 1980s. Um, NOAA. Um, the uh, uh, National Oceanographic and, and Atmospheric uh, Administration, uh, which is the main science agency in the United States, had had, had a conference in the 1980s in Honolulu. Uh, this was this was hardly a secret. It just hadn't gotten a lot of attention, mm-hmm. um, and and the combination of things happened in that 2014 and 2015 period, which which were. Um, this, the search, the ocean search, which was carried uh, on cable television uh, all at the beginning all day long. Yeah. Uh, uh, it drew. I remember talking to a scientist about it and says, "If this is when I myself discovered uh, that I was a latecomer to the subject, uh, I said, so what's what's changed?'" And she said, "Well, this is the first time the whole world has been paying attention to this." Wow. Um, and uh, the second thing is Janice. Jenna's study, as I mentioned a minute ago, in mm-hmm. 2015, really uh, also helped uh, push this to the forefront because now there were some numbers that were that were there that people could uh, look Go at from. industry and governments, um, scientists, and then there's just been an acceleration of of uh, work. Um, there are studies that are published regularly now. You can't even keep up with them, and it's Two or three years ago, five years ago, just very, a handful of studies might be produced in a year. Wow! And it's it, and, and the new developments are fairly new. I think uh, the development of microplastics. I'm going to get the date wrong, but I think it. Uh, 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 the first study was written. I think it was in 2004 on microplastics by the by a scientist at, at Plymouth University in the UK. Uh, his name is Richard Thompson. Mm-hmm. So that's not you know that's not that long ago. The discovery that this is actually a, a thing that Micro- microplastics yeah. are a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, so I I realize I want to kind of like take a step back and. Um, for like really lay out the basics and some of the terminology because you know we talk about plastics but I don't think that there's a deep understanding of um what what plastics really are so I mean I think of plastics as just being one thing are there multiple types of plastics the standard uh uh defining points for plastics are the are the numbers that you'll see on in inside the little triangle of the of on the chart that comes on the bottom of the bottle or the chart that is sent to you by your uh, local city uh, that explains the recycling program and there are seven those are numbered one through seven and seven different types of plastics uh, PET which is uh, um, polyethylene tetrahydrate 
Astrolate, I always mispronounce it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> is is uh, basically bottle bo- water bottles or uh, drink bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's high density uh, polyethylene HDPE, which would be used. To, your laundry detergent will come in that, or shampoo bottles. It's stronger, uh, denser, thicker uh, uh, than than PET. Uh, there's a, a PVC, which is used, uh, you'll see that a lot in building constructions. Low-density polyethylene will be your uh, plastic bags, uh, shopping bags, uh, things like that. Polystyrene will be the uh, the uh, white foam uh, coffee cups that keep drinks hot or cold and, um, and the uh, clamshell uh, packaging that contains takeout food. Uh, and so all of these are, these are the basic types when people are talking about plastics. And styrofoam's a plastic? I feel like that's a really stupid question. But <laughs> yes, it yes. is. Okay, a stupid question? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's in the plastics family. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, that is something that I was kind of a, a little bit confused about. Um, okay, so those are the, the the seven types of programs. It's or um, plastics. It's funny you said something about. Like city recycling, you know, city recycling information that you would receive, and I feel like there isn't a whole lot of information out there about recycling. But we'll talk about recycling in a minute. Um, but for now, okay. So those are the that's a really helpful breakdown on the types of plastics. What about when we hear these words um, like single use plastics versus um, I don't know what are the other kind of categories like compostable, recyclable? Is all re- plastic recyclable? I just threw a lot at you, but I would say the difference between single use, let's start with single use versus other types of Single plastic. use is what it sounds like. Is what it sounds like. You use it once and dispose of it. Um, Does that mean it's not recyclable? No, that means you use it once and dispose of it. So 40% of plastic manufactured today worldwide is used for packaging. And single use plastic most of the time refers to packaging. It's the film that your sandwich is wrapped in. It's the drink bottle. It's the plastic bag. It's the styrofoam. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to use that term. It's the foam <laughs> cup. Uh, all of that. Or those are things that are used once and then and then um, discarded. Of, discarded. Okay, but is that because some of the is that because the type of plastic is only meant to be used once? Yes. So what are what are what about the other types of um, plastic? So are I guess the second part of my question was are all um, plastics recyclable? More plastics are recyclable than people think, but it gets complicated pretty quickly because recycling. Um, Regulations vary from city to city and county to county, and plastics that are recyclable in County X may not be recyclable in County Y, depending on how they're collected, how they're sorted, mostly how they're sorted, uh, and what happens to them. Um, uh, Certain plastics need to be sorted uh, so that they uh, don't contaminate the, the stream as as uh, bottles, uh, for instance, or other products are taken back to their um, elemental parts and remade into new products. Um, so what about, uh, okay, so when we, 
when we think about like recycling, I was um, recently, like, you know, found out um, in the past year or so, which is embarrassing that those plastic bags that I get from the, well, not anymore, but, um, you know, from our bodega or when I'm going shopping or whatever, that I can't put those into the recycling bin, the typical recycling bin. Um, Is that an example of something that can't be recycled because of different regulations or because of the type of plastic and where? Plastic shopping bags can be recycled. And the problem with them is in certain recycling uh, operations that are operated after uh, your city or county government has collected uh, everything in your blue bin out on your front step. Uh, It gets into a facility, and if it's got plastic bags from the grocery store in it, uh, those bags will tend to get caught in the machinery of that facility and are off. And so cities and counties often will say, no, we don't want to take those. You you can take those bags, though, uh, back to the store. Often the, the grocery store will have a bin out in front of the store that's where you can stuff your bags. Those bags are then picked up by the company that delivers the new shopping bags to the store, and they're taken back. And uh, they some of them are recycled. They can be recycled. Um, and then some of them, it depends on the cost of recycling and remanufacturing new bags. And so... Uh, if that cost exceeds um, virgin material to make new bags, then those bags uh, sadly may end up in a landfill. So how do you how do you really know? Uh, Don't what, we have no idea what happens. <laughs> I mean, if you want to pursue it by you know tracing it back, that that it's not uh, undiscoverable, but uh, most people don't do that. I would imagine also most companies don't want to totally, I mean, I'm just, you know, speculating here, but I feel like. Well, your grocery store may not even know. That they can accept uh, plastic bags? No, that what happens to them after oh, it right. leaves their property. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how um, how did we, when, when did plastics really even first take hold? Like I, in what I've read, I've, I've heard it described as a miracle when it was first kind of developed. When was that time? uh, It's still a miracle. Plastics, um, really, plastic products, plastic consumer products, uh, really took off uh, after World War II um, in the the years where there was a lot of growth in uh, consumer markets and uh, plastic, there's the there's the, the now infamous uh, story in Life magazine that features uh, the family uh, standing around and all these uh, disposable items are thrown up in the air and it was uh, celebrating in uh, in their headline the throwaway living, which was uh, designed and, and advertised as a bringing a convenience to people, particularly uh, the American housewife. Uh, instead of having to do dishes every night, she could, they, these dishes could just be thrown away. And that really started um, in the 1950s. I think that magazine was published in 1955, and then the industry just went from there. But it isn't all 
it isn't all the throwaway culture, and we can go back to the to your mention of plastic was advertised as being a miracle product. It was. Just go into a hospital today. Uh, if you're visiting anyone or have a relative in the hospital, and uh, modern medicine would not be what it is today without plastic um, tubes, uh, uh, IV bags, uh, every type of equi- equipment uh, that, that is helped make the advances of medicine can be found in hospitals. Um, your car is lighter now because it's, it, parts of it are made out of plastic. We never would have made it into space without plastic. Uh, so I could go on and on about that, but I think that makes the point. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, when we talk about, um, that it's, it's just very interesting to me that something that has so many benefits is also has so many, so many problems um, associated well, with it. Well, it's not plastic that has problems. It's plastic waste that has problems. Plastic products are fine. Plastic waste is the issue. Uh, and, of course, many plastic products, just is like going back to the 40% that are uh, uh, used for packaging, that's where the focus needs to be what to do about all of that stuff when it becomes waste, especially when some of it becomes waste within minutes after purchase. Right. This was, um, I, so in my previous role, I worked at a, um, online farmer's market and food delivery service, grocery delivery service. And the number one question that we would get from consumers before we switched to compostable bags was, you know, like the request was please stop using plastic bags and it was always a real struggle because I, you know, I think that there, you know, it's it's hard to kind of find a replacement, especially in something like food service where there are um, food safety concerns. And it was, it's just kind of like a, a fine line because I don't know what the, you know, it's it's hard to find an alternative. Um, I think that is kind of like up to up to snuff in terms of being able to have the same benefits uh, that plastic does. That is one of the challenges um, that that is sort of central to the issue uh, here is if we get rid of product X, what's going to replace it and what makes sense? And uh, then you get into all kinds of questions. Is, is paper, which is... Uh, wrapping something in paper, you know, someone will say, well, does that have a carbon footprint uh, as well, and should we really be doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then there are some things, uh, as you say, certain food products that are just, uh, the shelf life of them is extended, they will last longer if they're mm-hmm. wrapped in plastic. And so that's, uh, that's an issue that's being worked on on multiple levels by uh, scientists and researchers in the industry. It, yeah, I mean, it is sort of funny, and not to talk about too much <laughs> about my work, but I went from um, from that the online farmers market um, to I now work in food waste. And when I was working at the farmers market, we switched from plastic to compostable bags, which is which was amazing. And um, the only downside, I would say, for me personally, before I had to kind of like change some of my behaviors was that I started to get products that would turn in like immediately, right? Like the next day they'd start to, to brown because they were in compostable bags. So they <laughs> just it would start to, to break down and then that became like a food waste prog- problem. So um, I just realized I sort of 
mirrored that in my um, career choices as now right. as now I work in food waste. But um, that to me seemed like just a kind of a good example of how all of these issues are infinitely complicated and there are always unintended consequences of any action, I would say, um, that you when, you when you try to do the right thing. <laughs> but, okay, so we are going to take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors. But when we get back, um, I want to talk a little bit more about what is happening to address the waste problem and what it will take to really um, get some impactful action moving on um, this issue. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by you. Heritage Radio Network makes your favorite food podcasts. And now we need you to lend your voice to our community and show your support of food radio. Become a member today. HRN releases 35 weekly shows each week and is a globally respected voice in food media. But believe it or not, we're still a very small grassroots organization. HRN is powered by a small but mighty staff of four people and HRN's incredible hosts who volunteer their time to bring you the best food podcasts out there. Our hosts are experts in their field, whether it's food writing, mixology, culinary history, craft beer, LGBTQ issues, and so much more. And they're committed to making sure that the stories that matter to you keep coming each week. We believe that a thoughtful, committed group can change the world. So join us. Add your voice and support HRN by making a donation of any amount. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And we're back with Laura Parker from National Geographic. Um, Laura, okay, so before um, the break, I said that we were going to talk a little bit more about um, solutions uh, to this issue. But... Um, and, and, and I just actually want to go back to, you said something about the plastic straws, right, at the beginning, um, which I think is, you're 100% right, it's become like the focal point, I think, of many environmental campaigns over the past couple of years. Is this because it was just, um, it was like an example of what people could do, or was there, like you said, or was there also some kind of other reason behind why plastic straws took hold in terms of like, it, it wasn't very recycled very often or some other substantive reason? Uh, there's a very famous turtle in Costa Rica <laughs> who's on YouTube that had a straw up its nose, uh, one of its nostrils. Yeah. And that I haven't looked at it recently, uh, but uh, last time I looked at it, the, that video had been viewed multiple million times. And the crew that rescued the tortoise uh, pulled finally pulled the straw out of the nostril of the turtle, and the turtle was uh, apparently fine, too. It was released and was okay, but uh, that was a long six- or seven-minute painful extraction, and I think that had a lot to do with helping that kind of came along at the right moment as the whole issue of plastic and plastic waste and do we have too many things made out of plastic and are there certain things that we can discard. And uh, a straw, unless you have a medical condition, and there are those who do, and that uh, um, caveat always has to be raised. Mm -hmm. But if you drink normally 
it is not necessary to have a straw in order to consume a glass of water or a glass of uh, soda pop. Uh, and I think that that with the uh, very emotional footage of the turtle and the combination of those things uh, kind of came along at the right time and the right moment uh, and blew up into an issue in ways that I think took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, it also, uh, I mean, if we got rid of every straw on the planet, it would be an infinitesimally small uh, solution to a, 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 a gargantuan a waste problem and really wouldn't make that much difference. But and so there were those who were poo-pooing straw. I mean, they were like, don't, don't tell me about another straw campaign. <laughs> but I think the straw campaigns served a purpose because it gave uh, the ordinary consumer who is not out there reading statistics about plastic production and plastic manu- uh, uh, products that are out and inventions and, and all of the variables that are, that are out there. Uh, that person didn't... Could, it gave that person a way into the to a complicated subject that was easy to understand, and then they were able to build on that. Um, and so, if we do straws, then what do we do next? And I think that uh, kind of helped. Uh, you'll see a lot of activism that folks that was centered around that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what um, what are the two besides? Besides um, emotional YouTube videos, which work, and that's a that's a good thing that was that was put out there. Um, what are the two types, or you know, the, a couple types of typical kind of interventions um, that we've seen where aimed at curbing plastic use or production? Um, by interventions, I mean like you know, like regulatory, legislative, um, thing, things along those lines. Right. Government has very limited options in what they can do. They can uh, ban pro- certain products, or they can put a tax on them. Uh, they can also regulate uh, them in terms of, uh, um, for instance, with bags, put a regulation on how the thickness of a bag um, and how many microns thick it is, uh, which... Some places have done, um, and so we're seeing that play out uh, not only in the United States uh, and around the world. Uh, the EU, which is leading the way on uh, the issue of of plastic waste, also has uh, another uh, tool in their toolbox, uh, which is. Uh, known as uh, the Extended Producer Responsibility, which requires um, uh, products, plastic product sellers and producers to pay uh, what amounts to a tax, um, a certain percentage. Uh, I won't go through the complications of the formulas to uh, help uh, localities clean up the waste and Mm -hmm. collect the waste. And in other words, they're requiring the producers of plastic to take responsibility uh, at some level for disposal of the pl- of their products after they become waste. Uh, we don't have that in the United States. I'm I'm could uh, I could, could be incorrect on this, um, but I'm pretty sure the EU is the only place that's got that in, 
got that uh, element in place right now. What we are seeing uh, elsewhere are bans. Um, plastic ba- bags have been banned in in multiple countries, and uh, we're also seeing uh, bag fees being uh, added. If you want a plastic bag, you have to pay a five cent. Five cents or ten cents or something like that. That's in the UK. That's in Washington D.C. It's uh, the, the fee is in in multiple place cities, and I think the bag, bag bans are in um, what is my number? Something uh, like fifty or sixty countries. Um, when we say when we say bans, just to clarify, is that on the production of uh, bags or is that on um, like set like using them in a retail environment. Where does the ban? Um, who does the ban affect? Like first, uh, the uh, well. Let's talk about bag bans because um, and producers of bags mm-hmm. hate these bag bans because they're different uh, everywhere, uh, and so it makes it very difficult to have any kind of uniformity in manufacturing something for sort of a certain region if you're dealing with uh, this sort of patchwork quilt of regulations that's, mm-hmm. that's not consistent. I think uh, the UN has counted 127 countries that have either banned or taxed bags as of, I think that number is as of a couple of years ago. Um, Africa is leading the way with uh, 34 or something countries. Uh, India is, is banned. It, it, individual states in India have, have banned uh, bags. And most of these bans are targeting the uh, manufacture of. They are not uh, trying to go after the consumer uh, who, who's coming home with a shopping bag full of groceries and Ending up, you know, getting arrested or getting cited, ticketed. Their their target is people who manufacture the bags. You have to stop, or in some cases, if they still allow the manufacture of plastic bags, but with thicker microns, uh, which would make it easier to recycle. Or these, the even the cloth bags that uh, that are quote unquote cloth contain an element of plastic. Um, but they, the thinking on that is that they end. They are reusable. They'll be reused many, many times, and they are not so flimsy that they're going to end up in the ocean uh, being eaten by a turtle or something. Um, I actually, I want to step back, and I'm, I apologize if I'm all over the place here. That's okay. <laughs> but um, I wanted to um, ask you about, like, the life cycle of a um, of a plastic product. Um, maybe the plastic bag or whatever, you know, whatever one you would like to speak to, but I'm wondering if you can kind of take us through um, what the life cycle cycle would be, like from like kind of where does it start and where does it end up and why? Well, uh, it's manufactured. There are uh, 99% of uh, plastic products are, are made out of oil-based. They're based in oil, so as they go through the uh, petroleum uh, refining process, um, and ter- which I'll spare you the details, uh, <laughs> and they aren't they uh, turn up in uh, as plastic bags um, are delivered to the store. The store sells it to you. You take it home, and uh, let's just say that you throw it away, put it in your trash. Which it, is which is probably more true than not, right? I, I did I ask you earlier about recycling rates? 
or yeah. how, how little it is? Okay, so. Ver- um, yeah, so you put it in your trash. So it, it's, life, it's life cycle depending on where you want to draw the lines or it could be just a matter of minutes or an hour. You, uh, If it's a sandwich that you purchased uh, at lunch, uh, went out for lunch and, and bought a sandwich and went back to work, uh, it's, it's really is a matter of minutes. Uh, and then that ends up in the trash, and then it ultimately in ends up in a municipal landfill somewhere. Um, how does it make its way to the ocean? You know, how do those kind of is that just um, improper? A lot of the a lot of the uh, estimates on the amount of plastic that is leaking into the ocean were based on modeling mm-hmm. and uh, using data from the World Bank. And uh, there's, I think, a lot of new analysis that's underway that will become available in, in the coming years uh, where uh, uh, scientists and researchers are actually going to the scene, going to the, to the uh, place and looking for leakage. A great deal of plastic ends up in the ocean uh, because it ends up in a river. It gets in a water system. It gets washed down a storm drain and ends up getting uh, drain empties into a river and the river flows uh, downstream into and and that's where where plastic uh, all over the world uh, ends up in in the ocean Um, and so that's uh, I think that answers that question yeah and then this you know we've been I've been talking about climate change um, obviously uh, for it's with all of the re- the reports that have come out, like you know, in the past year, I've been talking about it more and more. Um, what is the you know, like how do pl- and this may seem like a really rudimentary question, but like how how do plastics contribute to climate change? Is it mostly what happens when they're in landfill and the pollution of the ocean? I'm not sure. Um, other than the fact. Uh, the fo- when people t- try to connect plastic to climate change, they're talking about oil production. About eight percent of the of the oil production now is for plastic. That's both for the plastic product and the, for the production of the plastic product and the power involved in making that product. Um, I haven't heard a lot about of people talking about uh, plastic in the ocean is somehow contributing to climate change. I think uh, the warming oceans and ocean acidification and those other other climate issues are more relevant to that discussion. Okay. Um, great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, okay. So we're, we'll, we'll get back to... Um, talking about what we were before I, before I took us on this tangent, which is kind of solutions. And you discussed some of the things that are happening primarily that the EU is leading on. What about um, domestically? Where, who, you know, are there certain states that are more progressive? I'm imagining that there are than others. Um, and where are they? Uh, in the United States, uh, there is no federal legislation to uh, address plastic waste or bans or taxes on bags or any of that, uh, and there is not likely to be uh, anytime soon. Um, the I think there are five states, uh, Connecticut, Delaware, 
Maine, Oregon, and Vermont that have uh, enacted some kind of legislation, mostly banning bags, although Vermont went for a trifecta last summer and they banned straws, uh, um, polystyrene containers, and plastic bags. Uh, New York uh, became, earlier in the year, became the third uh, state to ban bags. And um, and you'll see California has a, a fair number of cities that have banned bags, and then uh, uh, also bagged bans in 2014. They were the first state to do so. So that's where the activity is, and California is leading the way on lots of other uh, issues relating to plastic uh, going forward, including um, uh, discussions that would be beyond uh, banning things. Uh, the place where you'll see uh, the opposite is there is also a handful of states, and I think it's 10 maybe, uh, that are in the interior. I mean, stop and think about it. You know, Maine, the, where this has happened is Maine and New York and Maryland, Oregon, California, Hawaii. These are coastal states. And some of the interior states, um, uh, in the way that diagrams are usually drawn, or these are red states, have the legislatures have passed uh, legislation banning bans. And I think that's happened in about 10 states, like and preempt- in- including Florida, though. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, just, I can't, I can't so. even with that state. <laughs> I just, I just I, whatever. So, right. <laughs> so, so those are, that's, yeah. That's kind of the lay of the land there, and, and I think that's just something to watch. There will be um, that kind of legislation will be coming and going, uh, sort of continuously as we go forward. Um, side side question, why why plastic? Do you, do you have any idea why plastic bags? The, this legislation is focused mostly on that. Is that just kind of like the easiest, the easiest I lift? I think easiest, but, you know, remember, uh, one, as I said, one of the greatest challenges, if you want to get rid of a plastic product, you have to have a replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a replacement for, you can use paper bags, uh, the plastic uh, bag industry will tell you that paper bags uh, use a, have a greater carbon footprint mm-hmm. than their own bags. Because they're heavier. Um, you can consider the source of that. And, but uh, um, uh, as I said, even the reusable uh, bags that you can get from virtually any grocery store and now many department stores are have a plastic component in them, but they're also... They're also they look like they're they're called cloth bags, but they're not fully cloth, and they um, but they last longer. You can reuse them, mm-hmm. and so they've they've come up with a solution, uh, a new kind of bag to carry your stuff home in, and you don't need to use another a bag. Um, many other products, nobody's come up with a, with an answer yet. Right. So those things still remain there. What about bioplastics? Uh, what are bioplastics, first, first of all? Biodegradable plastics. Uh, there are companies that are spreading all around the world that are purporting to uh, create biodegradable uh, products, bags, uh, other products. And 
um, that's still pretty experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll all be upset with me for saying what I'm saying, but uh, for instance, the EU does not want to deal with these until somebody writes standards for what a definition is of a biodegradable bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some places have, have done that and others have not. Um, <coughs> I have not met a marine scientist who thinks biodegradable bags are the answer uh, because they shouldn't end up in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many cases, the problem isn't necessarily the bag, it's the additives that are added to the plastic that give the bag its properties, uh, one of which is strength to carry something home if it's a, if it's a bag uh, or durability. And uh, while the bag itself, the plastic components that, that make up the bag, uh, uh, may be di- biodegradable. Um, those additives are uh, a whole nother question. So uh, Plymouth University did a study last, they published it last summer. Uh, they had buried some bags mm-hmm. uh, in, for, uh, I think it was two years, and they... Um, some biodegradable, some um, like bioplastic A bags. compostable bag, a biodegradable bag, uh, a special kind of biodegradable bag, and then I think just a plain bag. And the biodegradable bags, were, when they dug them back up again, uh, you could still carry groceries in them, and <laughs> caused a, a big sort of uh, uh, brouhaha uh, yeah. with the manufacturer and so on. Um, so without belaboring the point, I think that it's something that uh, uh, more research is needed uh, and to refine this. The other issue on those is biodegradable things need heat, um, warmth, um, and ocean water, even in the tropics, is cool, and it, it's it's very difficult for things to biodegrade in the ocean. Um, and compostable bags... Uh, which is a, which is a different animal from a biodegradable bag. Uh, most of them, when they say it's, they don't mean that you can throw it in your backyard uh, lawn clippings pile. It needs to be uh, composted in an industrial composter with uh, very high temperatures. Um, the final argument on on both biodegradable and compostable is it encourages littering. It has people think, well, I can just toss mm-hmm. this and it'll disappear in two months. It won't disappear in two months. Are we meant to recycle um, biodegradable and compostable bags along with the other plastic materials, or does the, do those require separate collection? No, they collection? need many recycling centers don't want them because they, the the components of the plastic biodegradable bags are different from the, the regular plastics, and it, they would contaminate those other plastics if they got into that mixture. And so that presents another problem. I, I, I think what we're seeing on here, I mean, this is an industry that's in, in sort of, you know, still developing. And what you might have said about it three years ago is different than what you're saying, what you would say about it today, what I'm saying about it today. And in a few years down the road, there, it's going to be even a different conversation. But it's really important for... Um, uh, Precautions to to be to be taken for clarity to 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 uh, be maintained as to, as to what the, what products 
that are purporting to be biodegradable are actually made of and mm-hmm. and all of those things. Um, so, all right. So the upshot is right now I'm just throwing my compostable and biodegradable bags in the trash. Like that's pretty much the only thing I can do with them. Yeah, unless there's an industrial composter near your... Sure isn't, not in... ...area <laughs> where you can take them and they can be composted uh, in, in that... In that facility, yep. Not not that I know of um, in northern Brooklyn, but um, I maybe I'm wrong. Um, okay, that is that's a super helpful um, breakdown. So in in um, we have to wrap up in in a couple minutes, but I could obviously talk to you forever. But um, um, if you start thinking about like systematic changes, is industry the one who really needs to lead on this? Or do you think that we can see like the biggest impact through government regulation? There is no single solution to this problem because it's, it's global and it's, and it's massive. Industry certainly is going to play probably the dominant role because it, they're the only entity that's really large enough to scale any kind of solution. Uh, government regulations will or efforts to regulate uh, in whatever form that takes uh, probably will serve as a prod to push the industry along. Because um, at the end of the day, what, what we haven't really talked about is what the, you know, the continuing effect of all of this uh, plastic building up in the ocean is having in, uh, to marine life. Uh, and then ultimately the question of human health, uh, which has not been determined. Uh, there has not been any any finding that it causes any harm to human health. Uh, that doesn't mean that that is going to remain a constant and it won't happen uh, uh, somewhere down the road. But right now, I have to be really clear that they have not. Uh, there is no uh, evidence of harm to humans. Uh, there are. There is evidence of harm to uh, marine wildlife, uh, both by strangulation um, ingesting it and having it uh, uh, affect organs and, and, and puncture organs and cause damage. Um, we read the stories, they're all one-offs about the whale that's eaten X number of pounds of bags. Um, but larval fish are eating nanoplastics as some of their first meals of life when they've been studied off the coast of Hawaii, for instance, um, in their first few days of life. And there's we don't know right now what that means. What does that mean for the food chain? Um, there are many, many, many questions out there about what the, the continuing accumulation of plastics in the ocean is effects are having on on the oceans itself and what lives in there. Um, what? So, I mean, so when you talked about earlier, the problem is what are we doing about plastic waste? Would mm-hmm. a substantial... Um, I mean, part of this would a big part would a big solution be if everybody recycled more properly, we would you know that would make a a big difference. All of the above, the industry will ha- is working on redesign of certain products. Some okay. products need to go away. Some products uh, packaging needs to be simplified. Instead of having three layers of different things that it's wrapped in, that packaging needs to be redesigned and and re 
reworked. When I say some products need to go to need to go away, maybe they're they're and this is already a building market. Uh, uh, instead of having something that's disposable, maybe it can be refillable. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, consumers need to rethink how they use plastic products, how much waste they generate. Uh, all along the way, the answer to what is what do we do about plastic waste is all of the above. There is not one single answer. Um, all right. Well, thank you for that. Um, last thing, um, Natio is, is, um, has a, they have like a, a campaign to uh, address the plastic crisis. Is that right? Yes, we do. We la- Thank you for asking that. Yeah. I didn't mention this. The, we uh, have a three-year campaign or multi-year campaign uh, that launched when we produced a plastic uh, uh, issue uh, last last summer and or summer of 18 and we are I mean our primary role here is to educate the public about what's going on with plastic and uh, why we need to pay attention to it and it is getting a lot of attention now that 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 doesn't mean that now that the world seems to be aware of it that we can all sort of go home uh, brush our hands <laughs> yeah. off and say okay well we did our job uh, this is something that really needs to have uh, a lot of attention and, until the solutions are really come up with. Uh, we are also, we just have uh, conducted in the, the, the National Geographic Society team of 18 scientists have just completed um, an analysis of the Ganga River in India, uh, studying uh, on a pre-monsoonal trip and a post-monsoonal trip um, all of the things that I've talked about here in terms of uh, how does the, how is the plastic getting from the river to the sea, how, how, what is the density of microplastics, where are the leakage points along the way, and what is the population density in those areas tell us about uh, waste. Uh, and they're going to put, uh, I think this is the first time that sort of hard numbers are, will be put on um, uh, an analysis of a, of a river system, and um, that work, it's, it's pretty exciting and, and important, and that work will be coming out within the next year or so as these, uh, the analysis done and the, and the papers are written and are published in, in peer-reviewed journals. And that we is. Also, mm-hmm, oh yeah, no, also, no. Okay. We changed our, our the way in the building that we uh, have plastic and have gone back to uh, old-fashioned silverware, or if you want to be modern, um, bamboo disposable silverware uh, that's biodegradable, um, and are serving beverages, you know, in glass containers and glass. Uh, or aluminum cans. We don't sell bottled water in plastic uh, bottles in our cafeteria anymore. um, And so we're we're doing a a variety of things in order to keep the focus on the fact that this is a very important uh, uh, environmental topic that has to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Walking the walk. Um, well, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the show to discuss all this. Um, for listeners who want to continue to follow your work, um, where where would you direct them to find you? Uh, we publish a lot of stories online at nationalgeographic.com uh, and also in the magazine, but you'll find regular coverage uh, uh, in on our on our website um, and on our in our social media accounts, Facebook and Instagram, and so forth. 
Yeah, and subscribe, right? Subscribe. <laughs> subscribe to the website and subscribe to the magazine. Yes. Um, yes. I know what my dad's getting for Christmas, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All thank right. you very much. Of course. All right, Laura, thank you so much. I uh, really enjoyed this. Sure. It was a pleasure talking with you. Okay, um, I want to, before we, before we wrap up, I want to thank our sponsors, as always, for their generous support. I also want to um, thank Julia Devon and Jessica Duncan, who helped produce the show. Our show engineer is Jeet Paul, and show music is by Tim Archer. All episodes are available on the HRN website or as a podcast wherever they're found. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Um, I'm Jenna Liute, and thank you for listening. Eating Matters is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right-hand side of our homepage. Thanks for listening.